I invite you to come with me to Matthew chapter 28. In the familiar passage we know of as the Great Commission. When I have opportunity to preach to the uh, entire congregation in the Sunday mornings, often it just feels right to me to kind of come to some of the big picture uh, themes of the Bible and of the message of Christianity. And as I was thinking of that and studying and preparing for the sermon this morning, I came across a quote that I'd seen before, but it struck me again from, some of you will remember, the great radio Bible preacher. He was also a, a pastor of a church in California, J. Vernon McGee. And this is kind of vintage J. Vernon McGee, Bible truth, I think, put in kind of a, a poignant way. This is God's universe, and God does things his way. You may think you have a better way, but you don't have a universe. <laughs> That's not a bad place to start when it comes to understanding the message of Christianity. With creation, this is God's world. Everything in it belongs to him. That oxygen you're breathing, that's actually his. Everything that you enjoy in this world, it actually belongs to him. And we were created, we were put here in the first place to live for his glory, to serve him, to carry out his purposes, to do his will. Understanding why we were created in the first place is probably the best thing I know to help us understand what we're redeemed and saved for. We're to live for his glory. And as we did that, he gave us a perfect garden, but that was only a part of the planet. And we were to continue to live for his glory, and Adam was to rule in God's behalf as we spread that glory around the globe living according to God's will and plan and purpose. And Adam was to be the human ruler under God to carry out that purpose. And that included guarding the garden, but he didn't do it. And Satan came in. And even though he was armed with God's word and should have known when Satan came that he was be being tempted to rebel against this world's rightful ultimate ruler, Adam fell, Adam rebelled, and Adam forfeited the right to rule on this world. And we were put out of the garden. We lost the reign of God and the blessing of God. But there was a promise right from the beginning in the garden that God was going to reassert his reign through a son of Eve, a descendant, a seed of the woman who was to come. And the long story of the Old Testament, and we don't have the time to go into it in detail, but the people of Israel and their kings were supposed to rule and reign according to God's law and will and purpose to return to God's blessing. But again and again they failed, and we remained under the dark dominion of Satan, the devil. 
Jesus himself calls Satan the prince of this world, the usurper who ought not to be, but because we went along with the rebellion, we came under his sway. We came under, and the whole world, the gospel, or 1 John says, lies in the lap in the power of the wicked one. That's the big picture, the big story. And the story would continue until there was one fully faithful Israelite, son of Adam, son of Abraham, son of David, who by his obedience and the atonement he would make would regain the right to rule for God's glory along with all those who changed allegiance and repentance and devoted themselves to God once again. That's the backstory for what we come to here in Matthew chapter 28. For the now resurrected Jesus Christ, who's made an atonement for our rebellion at the cross, canceling the power of sin and triumphing over the devil... Now he comes and he announces to his disciples his rule and his plan. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It had been forfeited by Adam, but now Jesus was taking it back. God had bestowed it upon him. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And heaven and on earth is just another way of saying the entire creation. In other words, you don't have a universe and I don't have a universe, but Jesus does. And he has all authority in that universe. Therefore, Because of that reality that I just described, because he's just been installed and appointed as having universal authority over the entire universe, therefore, here's the plan. You disciples of mine who already live acknowledging that authority, you're to go to all the nations, not just Israel now, but beyond Israel. Israel too, starting with Israel, and then to all the nations, And you're to turn people into disciples. Disciples are those who learn and live by the teachings of their master. That's the mission. Then he spells it out more. You are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is a pledge of submission to the lordship of the one in whose name you're being baptized. And you are to... Teach them, these newly formed disciples who've pledged themselves to Christ's lordship because he has all authority, and you are to teach them to obey, to observe everything I've commanded. And surely, as you carry out that task, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I want us to reflect on what are some some familiar words and phrases, but as I thought about them, I hope in a fresh way, again myself, what does it mean to have a king? What does it mean to have a lord? What does it mean to respond to someone 
who has all authority. First of all, what does authority mean? I just looked up some Bible uh, dictionary definitions and some regular dictionary definitions. Authority means the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. It's the right and power to command, decide, rule, and judge. It's the right to require, expect, and compel compliance, obedience. I want us to think about commandment keeping and the Christian life. Because that's what Jesus says, the heart of the Great Commission. Teaching these newly committed disciples to obey everything I've commanded. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter, said the writer to the Ecclesiastes. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. And some, you know, unfortunately, we're like, oh, yeah, but that was Old Testament. We've got to rethink, if that's how we think, the Testaments go together or don't go together. Because Jesus himself said in the Sermon on the Mount, don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I've come to fill them full. So when Jesus gives an exposition of the commandment, thou shalt not kill, what does it become? Ah, go ahead and kill. No. Thou shalt not kill under Jesus, and the righteousness that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees becomes don't hate and don't do verbal violence against a neighbor. Thou shalt not commit adultery becomes no fornication even in the heart, no lust in the heart, and no unlawful divorce. I haven't come to abolish the commandments, but to fulfill them. Therefore, Jesus says, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands, now of course with the change of dispensations, we're in a different situation. We don't bring lambs to the worship time to offer them. There's been a change in covenant. But this is talking about the, the will of God when it comes to ethical and moral principles. Therefore, whoever sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do so shall be, called, shall be graded least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever has these commandments and teaches them and practices them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, if you love me, how will it manifest itself? You will keep my commandments. John 14, 15. John 14, 21. Whoever has my command and keeps them, he's the one who loves me. 1 Corinthians 7, 19. Paul, the Apostle of free grades. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, again, because of the dispensation covenant change. But keeping God's commandments is everything, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 19. 1 John 5, 3. This is love for God to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. We'll come back to it if I remember, but it's the way of the transgressor that's hard. 
I've watched life long enough as well as studied the Bible long enough, and I think you, many of you have too, to know it's not the commandment keeping that's burdensome ultimately. I'll tell you who multiplies their sorrows, it's the one who follows after another God. It's the way of the transgressor that's hard for them and for those who love them. We know that we've come to know him if we obey his commands. 1 John 2, 3. But you know, as I thought about it more and always wanting to be kind of very, very practical with it, I think a big part of the reason that we're sort of unintentionally tone deaf when we hear the language of Jesus in these verses about obeying and all authority, we just don't have, as Americans people in the West, any very clear experience or meaningful frame of reference for having or relating to a supreme authority in our lives. Is that how we review, uh, view our political leaders? A supreme authority that I ought to totally obey? Not even close. And whatever the Bible might call for, even a lot of Bible Christians have a very, very, very low view of political authority and ideas of, they work for me. And to whatever extent there's a truth of that in a uh, Republican situation, a republic that we live in, a democratic republic that we live in, all I'm saying is, when we think of political authorities, we don't think of a supreme authority whom I should willingly obey. So there's no frame of reference there. Kings and queens for us are mostly figureheads. They're just ceremonial. We all know, for example, the most famous royal person, Queen Elizabeth, has no actual authority. The parliament decides, and then they hand her the speech. Our, I know, maybe the workplace. Maybe the workplace is where we've nurtured an idea of a supreme authority where we should willingly do their will. Probably not, given the lyrics of that great country anthem whose title, I believe, was Take This Job and Shove It. <laughs> so I'm guessing not a healthy model for us there. It was about submission to supreme authority. The home. I was talking to a parent this week, uh, they're not in the room, I promise you. It's possible they're living by live stream, but you have no way of knowing who it was. And they just acknowledged that when it came to things and how they're done around the house, they've just given up and they let their daughter do it just any way she wants to do it. Not huge, not major, but it just reminded me again, where are we set up to hear, obey everything that I command. We are going to have to rehabilitate that idea if we're going to listen to what the Bible says. In biblical times, they had no doubt the authority, the complete authority and power of a king. And you did everything the king commanded. We have a perfect king always wise, always good, always righteous. 
There is ever, there's never any reason to second-guess his judgment, second-guess his command. It's always what's best. It's always what's wisest. But we have got to recover the idea of submitting wholeheartedly and unreservedly to a Lord, to a supreme authority. If you obey Jesus and the precepts of Christianity, when you kind of already agree with them, and when you see where it's to your obvious advantage, let me clarify, Jesus might be your life coach, but he's not yet your Lord. So, listen, when Jesus says, all authority, turn them into my disciples, my followers, who do what I say because I've said it, who learn to live by my teachings, and then who observe, it could be translated obey, but observe, to give heed to, to pay close attention to, all my commandments. And so we're to intentionally and proactively live in obedience and service to God and I want to continue to try to think out some examples of what that means. Because God has bestowed on Jesus, rightfully, all the authority in heaven and on earth, we are to become his disciples and then live according to his commandments. The application to the unbeliever who's here this morning you need to acknowledge that lordship and that supreme authority for the first time in your life. Maybe you've heard about Jesus and you've heard about Christianity and some aspects are kind of intriguing and attractive to you. But there's never been a time when taught by the gospel that Jesus is the Lord of everybody everywhere all the time that you've bowed the knee in repentance and acknowledged that. And you've decided to follow Jesus. You trusted in him in the cross alone to accomplish forgiveness and putting you right with God. That is free grace, not of works. There's nothing you can do to earn or deserve that. But with that, in coming to Jesus, the Jesus you're coming to Savior is the Jesus who's been given all authority. And now you're becoming one of his disciples. And you're committing yourselves to live completely according to his commandments. To believers, the application this morning, again, that Jesus has all authority, is that as his disciples already, we are to be taught and instructed to obey everything he's commanded so that we'll honor him and serve him in every facet of our lives, every day of our lives. When Jesus says, obey everything I've commanded, we've got to realize that he had the Old Testament in mind ultimately too, because we've already read, I'm not abolishing the law and the prophets, I'm filling them full. And the other things that he says about the Old Testament makes it clear that that's part of the teachings and commands of Jesus that we're to live by. And then he says in John 14 through, uh, uh, through 16, he's going to send the Holy Spirit and a heel will guide you, you apostles, it doesn't first apply to all of us. He'll guide you apostles into all the truth and they'll take from what I've said and they'll make it known. In other words, 
Jesus was foreshadowing the inspiration by the Spirit of the New Testament revelation. That's his teachings too. We heard that in the scripture reading. You were taught in Christ to put off, to put on. Those also, the New Testament epistles, they're the commands of Jesus that we're to live by. A.W. Tozer said it well when he said, nothing less than a whole Bible can make a whole Christian. This is the curriculum for living the life of a disciple. The whole Bible, coming to understand it, coming to know it, but never just know. Because Jesus didn't say that you might know all that I've commanded. That's assumed. But what did he say? That you would obey, that you would observe, and put it into practice. Let me just say, this is why if you're going to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, proactively committed to living under his lordship and living for his glory, an hour and 20 minutes on Sunday morning isn't really going to be enough to master this curriculum in order to live by it. That's why we have Sunday evening service. Why do you still have a Sunday evening service? Another time for the people of God to gather around the teaching of their Lord and their Master so that they can learn and then live by all that he's commanded. That's why we have Wednesday evening Bible study, midweek Bible study. That's why we have adult Bible communities. That's why we have growth groups. Now let me say, just being someone who shows up at everything even, that's not the ultimate goal. You show up and you immerse yourself and you let the word of Christ live in you richly in order to live by it. Because you've already decided and signaled it in the waters of baptism, I'm all in. I am committed proactively to living as an obedient disciple of Jesus. It's been a terrible plague on our Christianity when it's sort of been in, I want to get this, I go to heaven thing straight. Get back to me on living for his glory. You cannot possibly arrive at that conclusion if you're paying any attention at all to the actual language of the Great Commission and the reality of Jesus as installed as the one who possesses all of that authority. The Bible speaks to marriage, to family, to work, to worship. The Bible teaches about the sanctity of life and racial justice. The Bible has teaching about how you spend your money and how you spend your time, including on Sunday, the Lord's Day, about how you communicate. So there's your internet life. There's your social media posts. The Bible's teaching extends to all of those areas. So what does that mean? It means the authority of Jesus extends to all of those areas. Shake loose the kind of prevailing quasi-Christianity that fakes us out. I've thought for a long time the worst opponent to authentic Christianity isn't even some other worldview or pagan religion or even secularism. The worst opponent to authentic Christianity is almost Christianity. Almost Christianity keeps reserving the right 
to pull back when it comes to obedience. Authentic Christianity says, I gave up that right. I died to that, and I have decided to follow Jesus, and follow Jesus, like we heard in the discipleship testimony, means learning to live by this book. So, I encourage you, when it's going to be shared, when it's going to be taught, if you're truly committed to learning and living by the teachings of the one who has all authority, come and profit and benefit from that. Commandments fill the New Testament. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, for you know what instructions, and it's a word that can mean military orders, we know what, you, you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he starts to spell out what that means, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, etc. That's how specific it gets. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18, Paul guiding Timothy, command. Command those who are rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share, teaching them to obey all things he's commanded. He gives commandments in 1 Timothy 5 about how widows are to be cared for by the church, but first by their families. He gives commands about, the Bible gives commands about the church itself. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. I'm writing you these instructions, Timothy, so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. The church of all places ought to be the place where everyone intends to proactively and deliberately and intelligently submit to the teachings of Jesus in the Bible. To submit to God's word deliberately in everything. Every pastor, every board member, every church leader should be unquestionably committed to obeying the teaching of the Bible. Not what's popular, not what's pragmatic, but what does the Lord say? the one invested with all authority. If his authority isn't lived out here in the church, we're really in trouble when it comes to what this really means. To every decision, to every ministry, to every practice and program of the church, every sermon preached, every lesson prepared, every song lyric sung, every ministry undertaken should be true to the Bible and obedient to the Lord. And remember, this same Lord with all authority will be judged concerning all these things at the Bema seat. Jesus here in these verses reminds us too of what the central mission of the church is. Making disciples devoted to obeying everything he commands. And the method is clear. Proclaim the gospel word, the Bible gospel. Tell unbelievers the Bible gospel so they repent and trust in Christ and become his disciples. Well, what's the rest of the agenda of the church? Then teach the Bible. Teach the Bible so that 
The Bible doctrines and the Bible commands are given to believers so that they get sanctified. So preach the gospel so that sinners get saved. Teach the Bible so that the, the, the believers get sanctified. There's the agenda of the church. As I said a minute ago, since Jesus Christ has ultimate and universal authority, it also means he'll be the final judge of all. God now commands all people everywhere to repent, Paul said in Acts 17. For he has set a day when he will judge whom? The world, everybody. Not just those who signed on to spirituality or Christianity. He'll judge the world in righteousness. And he has set a day when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. That's the same Jesus who's been given all authority. Every president, every senator, every judge or Supreme Court justice is accountable to and will assuredly answer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bend. But the fully authoritative Jesus will be the judge of believers too. So again, do your ministry, do your church leadership in light of that coming evaluation. No wonder Paul said, and it was a verse that we shared in the service remembering Betty Hansen this week. She was a good example. We make it our goal to please him. That's our goal in everything. We may fall short and we may miss, but that's what we're aspiring to all the time, to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, the end time king who's been given full authority, so that each of us may receive what is done, do us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Such a vast topic, of course. Well, let me say this too. It is either or. Saw a great little quote from J.I. Packer. Where Christ does not rule, sin does. Be clear on that. There are only two realms. The dominion of darkness, where Satan rules. He may give you a long leash, because if you're nowhere near coming back to God, what does he care what form your rebellion and godlessness takes? But you're still under the dominion of darkness. And to some extent, you're experiencing its miseries now. But if you never get out of there, the miseries that are ahead for you are unspeakable. You've got to get transferred by faith and repentance into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves, the kingdom of light. It's either or for every one of you, every one of us in this room. We're slave to sin, Romans 6 says, or slave to God. But then, let's draw to a close. I want to return to the idea again of the blessings of obedience. Again, one of the weirdest things, one of the most diabolical lies that the devil tries to get across says, oh, eternal life in heaven. Oh, that's the good part of the offer. Oh, obedience. That's the, 
That's the fact. There's the catch. No, I mean it. The way of the transgressor is hard. By keeping it, watching it play out in people's lives. That's the hard. That's come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, says the other king, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, my yoke of authoritative instruction, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. The blessings begin in this life, and then they're intensified to perfection in the life to come. And so, I say the same thing that the prophet said, sinner, why will you die? Why will you insist on rejecting what's offered to you as free gift, forgiveness and newness of life in obedience to the right master? The Spirit also leads us to want to do it completely. You shall love the Lord your God. Both Testament, Old Testament says it. Jesus says it's the greatest commandment. With all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. It was quoted earlier today, Colossians chapter 1. Pleasing him in every way. 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The authentic Christian, not the almost one, the authentic Christian aspires to obey and please God in everything, all the time. Now, because of the war of spirit versus flesh, we won't do it. And we'll need 1 John 1, 9 and forgiveness every single day. But make no mistake what we aspire to and what we long for, that whole-souled obedience that's fully confidence in the goodness and the wisdom of the will of God who wants to obey it in every way. So, do you understand maybe a little better what it means to have a king? Do you see a little better what it means to acknowledge Jesus as Lord? what it means to rightly respond to the reality that God has bestowed on Jesus, the final king, all authority in heaven and on earth. We know that we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, 1 John, but does not do what he commands is what? A liar. The truth is not in them. I can't, without mentioning, Jesus himself in Matthew 7. Once again, not everyone in the habit of calling me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Weren't we in the midst of remarkable ministry and engaged in it and involved in it? And I will never forget Dr. James T. Jeremiah 
in a Cedarville chapel preaching from this passage and reaching this point. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you who disobeyed. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, he's the wise man. The wisdom that ultimately leads salvation through faith in Christ. So now, what does the Lord your God ask of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you for your good. Obey everything Christ commands. Father in heaven, give us the wisdom, the humility, and the zeal, and the clarity to hear the command of Jesus, first to repent and believe, and then to begin to obey in everything. Amen.